Well, you know, we've been going through the teachings of Christ for close to a year now, and Jesus has taught us a lot about many topics. Today, he's going to teach us about leadership. Um, and I was just reflecting on this. Do you, maybe you don't know the story of Harvest Palace, but Harvest Palace began back in 2009. And in January of 2009, we had an info meeting at Trinity Christian College where we just invited anybody who would come to hear about a new church we were planning to launch in the fall. And about 50 or so people came to that, just, just trying to find out if they wanted to help us start the church. Yet we didn't have anybody yet who was even on board to help start the church. So by March 1st, we had 23 adults who signed on the dotted line to help us work to start a new church. We, we didn't have anything. We, didn't, we, we joked that all we had was a broken offering plate, because if you turned it over, the felt fell out. Uh, so we had nothing. We had no one, we had nothing. It was just 23 people in faith as of March 1st, 2009. We didn't know how it would all come together, but we started meeting every week. 23 people became 30, then 40, then 50, then 60. So before we even had our first service, there were 60 adults and 20 kids and teens, 80 people total, who were working to start this new church, and we launched September 13th of 2009. Now looking back, that team came together and was led by our very first leader team. And if you include me, there were only six leaders. So our church started with six leaders, and those leaders led the team of 80 people to launch the church. Here's a picture from Launch Sunday of our very first leader team. Uh, there's uh, Glenn Nielsen. You guys remember Glenn? He and Kelly got married and moved up north. We love him. And there's Pastor Mark, who back then was just a volunteer. Uh, there's me and then Ken Henley, who uh, was in charge of everything outside the worship center, but he also was building our small group ministry behind the scenes. Mike Kiowski, our elder, was in charge of kids' ministry. And you guys remember Diane Jenchenko. We love her. She and Mike moved to the city, uh, but they helped us launch too. And then in the back are two of our first elders that came from Harvest and another church. That's it. And we had six leaders when we launched this church. Every other leader that's come, we've had to raise up and elevate to the point where they're in charge of a handful or a group of people, and they're actually leading something. And today, we have, get this, 45 leaders in our church in charge of something. Wait, let's have them stand up. If you're a small group leader, ministry leader, if you lead anything in our church, stand up. Elders, deacons, stand up right now. We want to give you a round of applause. Come on, stand up. There we go. Let's applaud these people for leading at Harvest. Forty-five leaders. You guys can have a seat, but wow, what an amazing vital sign for a church to be multiplying leaders. And I reported last week in the family chat that by God's grace, we've had over a hundred more people coming to church every Sunday, and this is in the summer slump since we moved into our new building. And in the fall, how are we going to care for these people? How are we going to minister to them and make disciples? You know what? We need more leaders. And maybe you have never thought of yourself as having leadership potential. Maybe you've never thought of yourself as becoming someone who's in charge of something. But I honestly think that as you grow in your service to Christ, it's very natural for you to aspire and to get to the point where you're capable of leading a team. Uh, I think all the men in this church, after a season of, of growing and developing, could lead a small group. 
I think you should see yourself as being capable of leading a shift on the security team or a service coordinator or some sort of an event leadership. Like, I think you should aspire to get to the point where you can be put in charge of something and be faithful with that and serve the Lord. So as we're talking about leadership today, don't just think I'm talking to those 45 people who are already leading something. All right, I'm talking to all of us talking to all of us who are working for Christ and who will hopefully one day be able to be put in charge of some things around the church. What will the, the Lord of Lords and the King of Kings tell us about leadership in His church? Well, let's pray and then we'll hear from Him on leadership. Lord Jesus, we thank You that You came into the world, that You taught us about life and faith and stewardship, and we thank You today that You're going to teach us about leadership Uh, Father, through your disciples, uh, Lord Jesus, through your followers, show us how and show us how not to lead. And we pray this in your name. Amen. Okay, open up to Matthew chapter 20. Matthew chapter 20. As you turn there, I'll give you a little context. Matthew has compiled this chapter and the surrounding chapters to focus on what it means to be a servant of Christ. And, uh, and he shares this particular verse to show, as servants of Christ get to positions of leadership, uh, <laughs> how not to be a leader. And then Jesus also shows us how to be a leader. Uh, Matthew chapter 20, verse 20. It says this, Then the mother of the sons of Zebedee came up to him with her sons, and kneeling before him, she asked him for something. He said to her, What do you want? She said to him, Say that these two sons of mine are to sit, one at your right hand and one at your left, in your kingdom. Jesus answered, You do not know what you're asking. Are you able to drink the cup that I am to drink? They said to him, We are able. He said to them, You will drink my cup, but to sit at my right hand and at my left is not mine to grant, but it is for those for whom it has been prepared by my Father. All right, here's the first thing we need to notice. Write this down. Humility is the beginning of leadership. Humility is where it begins. Where do we get this from? We are supposed to notice a stark contrast here between Jesus' attitude and the two disciples who came up to him with mom to ask for more authority. The contrast shows us the first principles of leadership. Jesus is showing us how to be a leader. The disciples are sadly showing us how not to be a leader. We see the humility of Christ in that he said to their mom, you do not know what you are asking. You are way overstepping your bounds right now. And he turns to the boys and he's like, are you able to drink my cup? Do you know what that means? When Jesus was in the Garden of Gethsemane, he said, what, what, Father, if it's possible, take this cup from me. So his cup of the suffering and the agony and the death and even the wrath of God poured out on him. Are you able to drink my cup? And they said, we are. And then what were they doing when he was in the garden praying? What were they doing? Why don't you act out what they were doing? I'll be Jesus and you be them. Lord, take, Father, take this cup from me. Come on, do it louder. Father, take this cup from me. It's going to be agonizing. It's going to be horrible. It's going to be, hey, hey, you guys fell asleep? This is the third time I've told you to stay awake. Yeah, we're in a food coma. We can't help it. We got Are you able? And, and it, the Bible says he left nine 
And then he took three with him a little closer in the garden. Do you know who the three were? Peter, James, and John. And so they were close to him. Are you able to drink my cup? Yes! Way overconfident and cocky. Jesus exposes their pride through these questions. Jesus displays his own humility through his response. Get what he says. He says, you will drink my cup, meaning you're going you're gonna to flunk and run and flee now, but you'll get there. They would eventually suffer for him. But to sit at my right hand and my left, get this, is not mine to grant, but it's for those for whom it has been prepared by my Father. Hey, give us, give us the authority. Give my sons the authority over the world. And Jesus is like, I don't have the authority to do that. Because my Father gives me my authority, so I only do what He wants me to do. What humility. What humility. Jesus, God the Son, is humbling Himself before God the Father so much that He says, I can't, I can't even give you authority unless my Father tells me to. He's so surrendered to the Father's authority, so humbly submissive to the Father that He says, I can't give that to you. Wait a minute, you're the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Yeah, but I'm humbly submitted to my Father, so I can't, I don't have the authority to give you the authority you're asking me for. Do you see the humility and do you see the pride? Wow. Humility, modeled by Jesus, is the beginning of leadership. He says to her, you don't know what you're asking for. He reminds them that he's going to have a cup of suffering that he's going to drink. And then he says, I'm totally submissive to my Father's authority. Humility is the beginning of leadership. In Matthew 18, Jesus actually slapped the disciples upside the head. They came into his presence. They're like, which one of us is the greatest? They were arguing about that. Jesus, remember I preached on this from pride and humility, that sermon, took a child in his arms. You remember what he said? He said, become like this child, humble yourself, then you'll be the greatest. But guess what? Men don't listen. Amen, sisters? Men don't listen. I already covered this with you. We talked about the greatness thing. Humble yourself. Instead, they come back and they bring mom with them. Come on, mom. You, why would they do that? <laughs> like, like man law number 108 is if you're going to the king of kings to ask him for a throne, don't bring your mommy with you. Come on, mom. Why would they bring mom? Well, a little background for you. This, this just makes it so much more rich. Is James and John were brothers. Uh, James was older. Their mom was Salome. In Mark 15, she was listed among the women who financially supported Jesus. So there's this kind of like, you know, I've uh, doled out a lot of money to support you as a missionary, and I've got a request for you. In addition, it's likely that Salome was Mary's, Jesus' mom's sister, meaning this was Aunt Salome, meaning James and John were his cousins. Okay, most likely when you read these women described in the different accounts, these were likely Jesus' cousins. This makes it quite a knot relationally, because not only were they some of the family members who actually believed Jesus, but she supported him financially, and she kneels down and now asks for kind of a kickback for that support. Of course, John would go on to write the book of John and Revelation and would be quite an early leader in the church and uh, the disciple Jesus loved, right? Uh, James was a little more obscure. Um, so that's a little bit of background, but keep in mind 
that whenever Jesus took a few disciples, he would always take Peter, James, and John. All right, I'm going to go in to raise the dead. Everyone stay outside except Peter, James, and John. I'm going to go up on the mountain and shine in eternal glory, and God's going to speak. Everyone stay at the bottom. Peter, James, and John, you come up. In other words, James and John were already in the inner circle. They were in the inner three. So what's mama doing, falling on her face before Jesus, saying, put them, put them at your right hand and at your left. I want them to have the most prominent places of honor when you come in your kingdom. Well, see, they knew Peter was number one. Second and third place wasn't enough. Mama was going to storm them to the top. They had a shot. Jesus gave nicknames only to a few of his disciples. He called Peter the what? The what? The rock, right? Peter was the rock. And on every list of the disciples in the New Testament, Peter is listed first, which means they knew he was on top. He also, Jesus gave these two followers a nickname, James and John. Do you remember the nickname he gave them? Sons of, sounds like a wrestling tag team name, doesn't it? In this corner, the sons of thunder. And the you know, and then, and then you got the rock over there. And mama didn't like that Peter was, uh, you know, a notch above her boys. So she's going to go ask for her sons to rule the world with Jesus. Where did they get their fiery personalities, their strong wills that Jesus would nickname the sons of thunder? From Mama Thunder. She'd be right there at ringside, right? Do you remember the ringside? There was like Bobby the Brain Heenan. I loved back in the 80s. I watched wrestling, right? There's like the Bushwhackers. And then they, had, they always brought somebody down ringside. Mama Thunder was ringside with the Sons of Thunder. And boldly, she goes into the presence of Jesus, and she's like, I want my boys to rule the world. Deal? Don't forget I'm your aunt, and I've given you money. Jesus' response was gracious. This is a laughable tale had how not to seek leadership. How not to seek leadership. We're supposed to read this and be like, really? You're really going to do that, boys? Come on. The truth is, James would be the first apostle to die. He'd be stabbed to death. John would be the last apostle to die. According to church history, they boiled John in oil in the Colosseum in front of a crowd of spectators, only it didn't hurt him. So spooked, they banished him to an island for the rest of his life of Patmos. I want my sons to rule the world with you. Deal? Tell you what, he's going to get stabbed to death in the next decade. They're going to boil him in oil publicly. Still want to follow me? Deal? She wanted her kids to have glory in this life. And parents, we need to be careful. Jesus has no plans to make our kids experience glory in this life. In the next life? You think when the Apostle John had a vision of heaven and he was walking around in the book of Revelation and when he saw the city, the eternal city, and do you know on the 12 foundations of the city, do you know what's written there? One of them has his name on it. The Apostle's names are written on the foundation of heaven. The glory that was waiting for him in the next life, indescribable. But glory in this life? They're going to boil him. You don't know what you're asking, he said to her. 
Humility is the beginning of leadership. And here was a mother who had not humbled herself before Jesus with the proper motives. She was humble and she was correct in assuming Jesus was who she was talking to, but she had her son's lives planned out for them. And, and she did not come with a surrendered heart. And parents, if we go into this life seeking glory for our children in this world, watch out when we try and prevent them from following Christ down a path of suffering. Watch out when mama, watch out when our kids, our grown children, when they get in trouble, run to mom and not to Christ. Something's gone wrong there. She did not surrender her kids. She would have to eventually. They would both die as martyrs. One would die as a martyr. One would survive and be banished. What about us? Well, we have to make sure that we don't seek more glory in this life, but rather in the next, and that we're willing to suffer and die for Christ if that's the path He has laid out for us. That's called humility, and humility is the beginning of leadership. Now, here's the next one. The flip side of that coin is pride goes before a fall. Humility is the beginning of leadership modeled by Jesus. Pride goes before a fall modeled by these two apostles. They were way overconfident. They wanted the best seats in the universe. They wanted the most power any human could have. They wanted it. Number two and three wasn't even enough. It had to be the top seats. You remember the Sermon on Pride, the parable of the banquet, where the fool shows up at the banquet, looks around and seats himself at the best seat in the house, and then to his shame, the master of the banquet comes and says, you sat in the wrong seat and puts him in the worst seat. Pride goes before humiliation. But humility, the person who shows up to the banquet and sits in the least place, will be elevated by the Father and will be given more honor. Humility goes before honor. This is just a review here, but there's two forms of pride that will teach us about humility too. Here's a picture. This will be your helpful pride guide that you'll remember. The two forms of pride modeled here on the left is that's Gaston. Remember Gaston from Beauty and the Beast? He's the more vain, selfish form of pride, the more look at me, praise me. Uh, he, wants, he wants praise. And then on the right, have you seen the Lego movie? That's Lord Business. Remember, Lord, what did Lord Business want to do? Lord Business wanted to superglue everybody in their spot. He wanted to control where everyone was, what they were doing, what they looked like forever. He was a control freak. The two forms of pride are, I want praise, I want power. Those are the two forms of pride. All right? And pride is wanting more praise or more power than is rightfully yours. The sense of entitlement that these two disciples exuded was sickening that they would think this power should be theirs. Um, And you have to remember that pride springs from a lie. The pride in our hearts comes from a lie that we believe. The lie is that we deserve more praise than those around us. There's a sense of superiority. I deserve more praise or honor than those around me, and therefore I'm going to seek it. It's a lie. The other form of it, the the power form of it, the lie is that you deserve more power or control over your life than you have. In fact, if you struggle with this desire for power, you'll actually even reach over into other people's lives and try steering their lives because you think you would be better steering their lives too because you want more control, more power than God has given you. 
two forms of pride. I want more praise than is rightfully mine. I want more power than is rightfully mine. Those are the two forms of pride. They spring from the lies that I am worth more praise than those of you around me. And the other lie is that I deserve more control. What's the truth of humility, though? Modeled by Jesus, the truth of humility is this. You deserve absolutely no honor in this life. This world is not a banquet in your honor. Your track record, your rap sheet has earned you 0% pride, 0% worthy of praise in this world. The only attention or applause you deserve is what God graciously gives you through His work in your heart. There's nothing about you that's worth applauding unless, unless it leads to people adoring God for what He's done in you and what He's given to you. That's why we're to show up to this life and take the lowest seat of honor. We really have to believe. And listen, this is, humility is true. Humility is believing the truth that I really deserve no honor in this world. This world is not a banquet in my honor, and I am not to show up trying to get people to praise me. That's not what this world is about. That's true. Humility is true. Pride is a lie. When it comes to the other form of power, humility is facing the truth that you really have no control over your life. You don't. You don't. If Jesus took his hand off the wheel of the universe for a second, you would evaporate. You have no control over your life. Humility is true. Based on realizing that truth, that Jesus is the one who holds your whole universe together, he's the only stable thing in this universe, you will then honor him as the one who has control over you and everything in your life. If you believe the lie that you deserve more control, you don't even realize the truth that you don't have control. You've never had it. So humility is believing the truth that I don't have any control over my life. God does. And I don't deserve any praise or honor in this life apart from what God gives me. Apply that to leadership and here's what you get. Here's what you get. No one deserves to be a leader in God's church. Not one of us. And and none of us can lead in God's church apart from his strength. If we don't have humility at the beginning of our desire to lead, we will fail miserably. Listen, if you get to the point where you feel like, man, I've been around here for a long time. They're not putting me in charge of anything. I feel like I should at least be talked about being a deacon or an elder. I think we've had people in the past who've told me flat out, I think you should have hired me for that position. I think you made the wrong hire. Listen, if you think you deserve to lead something in God's church, you are 100% dead wrong. Not one of our elders deserves to be an elder here. I don't deserve to be a senior pastor. It's not earned. I didn't go and get my degree at Moody and then poof, self-qualify myself to be a leader in God's church. I don't deserve it. He gave me an undeserved calling. I didn't earn it. I'm not qualified for it. He's the one who gave it to me. That's the beginning of leadership. When you, when you realize, like John the Baptist said, I'm not worthy to carry his shoes around. If I'm on shoe duty, I'm in over my head because this is the Lord of Lords. When you get to that low place of humility where you recognize the truth about yourself, that's when God begins to give you more. 
It was when Peter had the miraculous catch in the boat and he fell down at Jesus' feet and said, go away from me, Lord, I'm a sinful man. That's when Jesus said, now you can come and be my full-time follower. It's when you get the lowest that God begins to elevate you. Humility is the beginning of leadership. Pride goes before a fall. Okay, now now that we got that established, let's talk about what Jesus uh, told his disciples. Look at verse 24. It says, and when the ten heard it, so now there's there's the other ten and they found out. They brought mom in. They asked for the best. What? When the ten heard it, they were indignant at the two brothers. But Jesus called them to him and said, (laughs) group meeting, group meeting, you know that the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their great ones exercise authority over them. It shall not be so among you. But whoever would be great among you must be your servant. And whoever would be first among you must be your slave. Even as the Son of Man, that's Jesus, came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Hey, write this down. Seek not to be served. You aspire to leadership? You think you can be put in charge of some things? Listen, seek not to be served. Don't seek your own glory. That's what's funny about this is Jesus came into the world to try and seek the elevation of other people. And here these two apostles appeared seeking their own elevation. One scholar said this, Jesus is the first who made himself last. He is. And in church, sometimes people want to sit at a table, feel important, and make decisions. If you want to sit at a table, feel important, and make decisions, go into politics. All right? Plenty of tables, plenty of positions. Plenty of decisions, go ahead. That's not what God's church is for. Jesus said, the Gentiles, they lord it over one another. That's what these disciples had in mind. They thought, he picked us. We're the 12 apostles. He must have seen something in us. He called us the sons of thunder. I think they imagine themselves as being like superheroes. Check this out. This is like a son of thunder, right? like, that's us. He called me that. Thunder and lightning, he's going to come down around me. I am a super. And then here's the next one. He's going to come in his throne. He's going to reign on his kingdom. There's going to be all these people who worship us. It's going to be awesome. And Jesus is like, nope, that's not the way my church is going to run. Seek not to be served. Seek not to gain glory for yourself, to rule it over people, to get power for yourself. It's sad and shameful when in churches, leaders become bullying, overbearing, condescending, corrupt, deceiving, above the law, worldly leaders. It's a shame because that kind of leadership has no place in the church of God. Here, these guys are bickering. They were indignant. Why? Not because they were more humble, but because they thought they were going to get those spots. Who do you think we are? We're the best. There they go again. I mean... None of them had humility, and and they would all flee like chickens in the night when Jesus was arrested. They had a major wake-up call coming. It's a shame when grown men in the church throw their weight around, fight for power, argue for prominence, hold on to their positions for way too long. Why? Because they think they're entitled to what they have. They think they've earned it, and they don't understand that if they were put on shoe duty, they'd be in over their head. They're not humble. Seek not to be served. Be careful, though. Jesus was a humble servant 
He served others, and God exalted him. But be careful how you define humility. Humility isn't weakness. Humility isn't indecision. Humility isn't incompetence. And in the name of humility, some churches appoint weak, indecisive, incompetent leaders, and it hurts the church. That's not humility. Okay? You can be strong and decisive and competent and humble all at the same time. And those are the kind of leaders we need. And we can't, in the name of humility, teach men and women to be sissies who have no heavenly ambition and no backbone and and no desire to lead the church forward. That's not humility, right? That's not the way Christ wants us to lead either. So we have to make sure that we don't define humility as timid weakness. Seek not to be served. Write this down, but to serve. But to serve. Jesus uses some strong words here. He says, whoever would be first among you must be your slave. You want to be first place? Put yourself in last place. Be your slave. The word slave is derogatory. Doulos, it means the property of the other person. Just try that this week. Just talk to your brother or sister in in the church this week and just be like, hey, master, what can I do to serve you this week? It's like so derogatory and it just rubs you the wrong way to like act like someone else owns you. And Jesus says, yeah, if you want to be the least, if you want to be the greatest, you've got to be the least. You have to act like it is your duty and your delight to meet the needs of the other person. And Jesus says, by the way, that's what he came to do. He was the servant of all. Wow. So if I want to go up in prominence or leadership, I have to get on the down escalator. Bingo. Bingo. Strong words. It just feels wrong to think that I'm here to meet the needs of other people. What am I, some genie? They rub the lamp and I just have to do what they say. Um, You have to conclude in your heart that you are here to love and serve God and to love and serve other people. That's why you're here. If you tip that upside down, you think you're here for other people to love and serve you and for God to love and serve you. But then your life is upside down. You're here not to be served, but to serve. Uh, When we were getting ready to launch our church, we had this big event at uh, Chicago Christian High School in May. And we got all of our like 30 people to show up and we got them to show up and we got them to serve so that new people can find out about this new church that we were seeking to build. All right, we needed people. So we gave everybody a job. You're at the welcome table. You're going to share your testimony. You're going to stand at the door. Then after that night, I got this long, 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 long email from a newer couple on our launch team. And she said, I just have to write you to say, I can't believe that you put my husband on door duty. All he was doing was greeting people while others were standing up front. Do you have any idea who my husband is? And she listed out all the things that her husband has. He's been to these many mission trips. He's been on this many boards. He's been this position in this church, and he's done this here. And how dare you only put him on door duty? In fact, he came up and talked to one of your main elders, and the elder didn't even talk to him for very long. And I'm just like... Well, behold his glory. Wow. Forgive me for only having him welcome people into the building. Like, shame on me. What was she saying? 
She was saying, we're not here to serve. We're here to, to be served. We're here to lead, not to serve. And so needless to say, after the carefully worded email that I sent back to her, they never came back because we don't need people like that. We don't need self-serving, selfish, look at my glory, make me a leader people. We don't need that. The church doesn't need that. Seek not to be served, but to serve. Do you know that every disciple should work for Christ? I don't just mean I'm a postman and I do my job to the Lord. Yeah, but, but the Bible says that God has works for you to do that He prepared in advance for you to do, meaning in His church, in His church. He has responsibilities set up for you, assignments with your name on it here in the church. So are you, are you on a ministry team working for Christ somewhere? Because if you've been around here for three, four, five months, even if you're not a member, we challenge everyone who's calling this church home to get on a ministry team. And sometimes people say, well, you know, I really can't because I'm, I'm really busy. Okay, listen, we've got low demand and high demand places where you can serve. When I say low demand, I mean there's some entry level places where you're talking 15 minutes every other week. Okay, you're not too busy for that. 15 minutes every other week. The low demand places where you can work for Christ, you're not too busy for that. The higher demand, we've got some places where if you really want to make a huge dent for the Lord and serve, you could be a small group leader, a flock leader, you could serve on the usher team, you'd be on security in the parking lot. There's so many places where you can serve. But just, I just want to challenge you, if you're not on a ministry team, hey, listen, show up to church not seeking to be served, but seeking to serve. We have over 100 people who serve somewhere every week to make church happen. There's 100 people who help make church possible for you today. See? So don't just show up and say, man, I want 100 people. Make my church happen. No, no. Be one of those 100 people. Get on a ministry team and help make it happen. Some people say, well, I'm not skilled. I don't know how to do it. Hey, listen, we train and coach people. We didn't at first. At first, we just threw you in the water and <laughs> you learned to swim. But now, we've learned how to train and coach people to serve. Also, some people come and they say, you know what? I'm just so burnt out. At our last church, we were the only ones doing everything, or we've got some baggage and some pain. Hey, we've helped people through that. We do that all the time. So don't let that be an excuse to get you to not serve. Seek not to be served, to be served, to parade around your mind, your body, your money, your title, but to serve. And then Jesus says, the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. Write this down, and to give. Not to be served, but to serve and to give. What would he give? He would give his life. He would make the ultimate sacrifice to redeem others. He would suffer to save others. This is uh, echoing Isaiah 53 where Jesus is the suffering redeemer who by his death would purchase the souls of many. And just get this. Here's these two disciples with mama on her knees. We want to rule the world. And Jesus is like... um, I'm here to lead others to glory. You're here because you want others to lead you to glory. How unchristlike are you being? When we want others to lead us to glory, we're being unchristlike. We're acting out of line with the gospel. I mean... Jesus came to stand in the place of sinners, and these two want to sit on the throne of God. How unchristlike. 
And pride does that to us. Jesus came to stand in the place of sinners so I could sit on the throne of God. No, how foolish and unchristlike is that? We're supposed to stand in the place of others and help them to grow to maturity. We're not supposed to try and become God. When it comes to leadership, we're not supposed to be self-serving but self-sacrificing. Jesus would lay down his life so that others can get through the gates of heaven. We're supposed to lay down our lives so that others can get through the gates of heaven as well. One of the most powerful statements Jesus ever said in the New Testament is this, I do not seek glory for myself. If there was ever a person who walked this earth who could and should have sought out glory for himself, and he said, I don't seek glory for myself, how foolish are we when we do? When we do. So Jesus says, the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve. So let's close out by sharing three ways we can serve others. You can write this down. How do I serve others? How do I serve others? Jesus modeled this for us, and these are going to be some takeaways for us, but Jesus called himself a servant of others. How do we serve others? Well, the first one is this. Meet their physical needs. Go out of your way to meet the physical needs of other people. Jesus was not just a truth dispenser. Truth, truth, here's your truth. Take your truth, walk truth, walk away truth. He dispensed the love of God by meeting the physical needs of those around him. What did he do? He healed diseases. He would stay up late into the night as people were knocking on the door. Whole towns would come out. Your eyes, done. Ears, got it. Legs, fixed. Skin disease, finished. He took care of the physical needs of others. And just ask yourself this, who is it that needs your help? Who is it that needs your physical assistance? Maybe they have a a financial need. Maybe they're going through a sickness and they just need some help or some... Who in your life are you not seeing? Who has physical needs that you're looking past? Because servant leadership begins when we see the needs of those around us. And then we take action and initiative. Who needs maybe some meals brought by this week? Who needs help moving? Who is it that you're looking past? Meet their physical needs with the love of God. You know, I love that we are a church not with small groups. We're a church of small groups. And do you know that in our small groups, we practice mutual ministry. We tell our small group leaders that you treat your small group like you would treat family. Meaning, if you hear so-and-so's in the hospital, what would you do if that's your sister? You'd go, so do it. Treat them like family and treat the, tell them to treat others like family too. And when the small group gets it right, it's a beautiful thing. It's an awesome thing when the small group sees it as their job to care for one another, meet physical needs and show up with meals and show up when something goes wrong and be at the hospital and be at the funeral. I mean, that just so fills the church with love. It's amazing. And our small group leaders do it every week. They don't, just, they don't just bear their own burdens and figure out their own finances. They think of the flock they've been entrusted with and they bear their burdens too. They give their time, their energy, and their love to other people. Here's the next one. Meet their spiritual needs. Meet their spiritual needs. Jesus didn't just go around dispensing bread, okay? He would from time to time sit the people down and open his mouth and say, okay, many of you all are going to hell. I'm going to tell you about that right now. What? How dare he offend us? He would meet their spiritual needs. 
by telling them about himself and why he came. And likewise, who is it in your life who isn't saved? Who is it in your life who needs you to take the initiative by bringing them the truth of the gospel, by inviting them to come out to church? Hey, meet their spiritual needs. This is where humble leadership begins, when you take initiative to meet the needs of those around you. Meet their spiritual needs. Here's the next one. Meet their emotional needs. Meet their emotional needs. Jesus had such a tender heart. He walked into one town one day and there was this woman who had an only son and the son died and he walked up and filled with compassion, the Bible says, he just stopped the casket and gave this woman her son back and raised him from the dead. He knew how devastated she was and you know what he did? He met her emotional needs. Jesus wept with people. He wept at funerals. He was right there with them emotionally. He wept for Israel, though they were going to crucify him. Hey, listen, who in your life just needs a visit? Who in your life just needs you to sit down with them and just listen and just bear what they're going through for an hour or two? Who who needs you to just be there emotionally for them this week? That's where leadership starts, when you humbly meet the needs of those around you. That's the pathway to humble leadership. It's not when you strut around like a peacock showing off how awesome and glorious you are and then maybe people will realize what you deserve. No, our leaders here are so amazing. We've got flock leaders and elders. Our deacons uh, every week will sit around and talk about how she's doing and their car's broken down. He lost his job. They're meeting the needs of other people. I'm a deacon. Everyone's going to know I'm a deacon and they're going to call. They're not even thinking about that. Our elders, like we have to work to get to the business because we always start talking about the people and checking in on people. Oh, wait a minute. We got to check. We got to talk finances now before we break. I mean, our leaders are trying to pursue this, meeting the needs of other people. I think if we get leadership right, we'll make such a greater difference for the kingdom. And I just want to challenge you, listen, Maybe you didn't come in here today thinking that you could become a leader. And I'm talking to high schoolers. I'm talking to junior hires. I'm talking here this morning. I'm talking to you. Christ has some work for you to do. If you're doing your work right, you will eventually get to the point where you could be in charge of some things. It's just the natural flow. It starts with humility. Pride will trip you up on the way. And Jesus said, seek not as you get there to be served, but to serve and to give your life as a ransom for many. Fill your life with love for others. That is the way that Jesus will start leading through you. And listen, we need more leaders. We need more leaders. We need better leaders. We need men and women to step up and say, I'll be, I'll be put in charge of that. Give me a small group. I want to be a flock leader. I want to take a shift. I want to oversee a service. We need people who rise up and humbly, not proudly, humbly ask for an honor that they don't deserve, and then do a dynamite job with it. We need that. Our church needs that. So let me just say now, as we close out, I want you to prayerfully ask yourself what God is leading you to do and who God is leading you to serve. Let's close our eyes, let's bow our hearts, and let's pray before the Lord. Lord Jesus, how patient you were with your disciples. We thank you that they did so many things wrong and that you would elevate them 
Though they lusted for power, though they were pathetic in the way they asked for world domination, though they were so blind to the reality of the suffering that was coming, thank you for your patience towards them. Thank you for convincing us that we in our foolish pride could become leaders in your church. Father, I just thank you that you would bestow upon the leaders in this church an honor that we do not deserve, nor will we ever deserve it. Thank you for our elders and our deacons and small group leaders and staff pastors. Lord, forgive our pride. Forgive our pride when we think we've been shortchanged or we feel that we've been overlooked. Forgive our foolishness. Uh, We just pray that you would create a foundation of humility here in all of our leadership. We pray that you would lay on the hearts of people the desire to to be trained to put in charge of things. um, But Lord, may they understand it's a privilege and an honor and a gift. And we just pray that as we set this foundation of humility that you would build upon us, uh, Lord, a great discipleship structure where people who come here are loved and fed and cared for. Um, And we pray, Lord, that as we walk humbly with you, that you would receive all the glory. And Lord, this week, show us the people in our lives who we're overlooking. Uh, Jesus, just as you came into this world to serve, help us not to make the mistake of simply getting through the, the week only caring for ourselves and our families. It's not enough. It's not enough. Help us to open our eyes and make our families servants of others. We just pray that you would challenge us on this and grow us in this. And we ask you, Lord Jesus, to help us. In your name we pray.